You're listening to the Built Shaves Podcast, presented by Midco Sports. With the college basketball season now underway, it is the best time to sign up for Midco Sports Plus, your streaming destination for University of North Dakota hoops, as well as football, volleyball, soccer, softball, and more. Midco Sports Plus is the home of the Summit League Network, giving you access to live games across the league from opening tip to final whistle. Sign up today at midcosportsplus.com. This is how we do sports, and this is the Build Shaves Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Build Shaves Podcast. It is Tuesday, the 7th of November. Alex Heinert, Build Shaves. Happy November, Bill. First pod of the new month. How are things in your world? Yeah, oh, things are great. Uh, no snow on the ground in Grand Forks, which is uh, an upset at this point. So we're excited. It about came and that. went. We we uh, had an early winter and then it's gone and and we're in the clear, right? We're going to the fifties. We are. We are. We're <laughs> heading to the fifties. <laughs> well, may that continue for for long into November, but I doubt it will. But we'll enjoy it while we got it. So big show today. Lots of stuff to talk about with fall sports coming to a close. Winter sports getting started. And then the sport that covers all seasons, college hockey. And we are joined by a special guest who is beloved in the college hockey universe. My friend and yours, Mr. Dave Starman, our special guest today. Star, how are you doing today? Alex, I'm doing great. Bill, how are you doing? I love the fact that an athletic director's got his own podcast. I think this is about the coolest thing. Well, that might be the only cool thing that I do. So (laughs) even if it's cool, I'm not even sure. But, you know, it's... it's, uh, you know us very well. Um, we've got a pretty fervent fan base. And so at the end of the day, um, anything that we can get out, even on a biweekly basis, makes a little bit of sense. Sometimes adding context to some things that occur uh, helps. And uh, obviously, Alex, is it's really his show at the end of the day. But, it, you know, Oof. I just kind of stick my name on there. But at the end, uh, it really <laughs> is good. And then we've got it. We've uh, had some guests come on, you know, I would say the last year we've been trying to do this and uh, you know, it's awesome that you're uh, you're willing to jump on here, obviously with hockey season and in full bore at this stage of the game. Listen, we we all know what North Dakota hockey is all about and the passionate fan base that it has. And and I've said it to Alex on many an occasion when we're doing a North Dakota game, trying to explain the fan base and the, the passion that they have for their sport and their team and, the way that it's set up is that it's like on a college team, it's like Alabama football. I mean, it is the big game in town. It, everybody's focused on it, which is unbelievable on a home game weekend. And, you know, for my pro experience, I, I like in playing for the University of North Dakota. It's like playing for the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, you are squarely in the in the fishbowl. You are squarely in the eye of the fan base. And it, it takes a unique kind of athlete to survive in that environment. And I, I just think it's really neat. Like if you can – you know, if you could be part of an experience like that, I mean, that's something you carry with you for the rest of your life. No doubt about it. No doubt. So, so Dave, uh, help us as we're uh, starting the season. We're about a month in right now. Obviously, we had a big uh, series in Boston. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of par- – there's always parity in college hockey. There's so many good players. But, uh, but even at the top, it's, it seems like they're uh, – I don't know, you go 10, 12, 15 teams right now. It's hard to hard to know at this stage of the game, but it seems like there's a lot of teams uh, that are going to be vying for that uh, trophy come uh, come April. I'll tell you what, it, it seems like every year we get through October, November, early December, and you can realistically say that there's a good 10 to 12 teams that probably have a legitimate chance of winning the national title. And then all of a sudden, late January and early February hit, and that changes the dynamic greatly because A, you're going to have some injuries. B, you're going to start to see which teams get a little bit exposed 
once they get into the grind of conference play and and there are certain conferences where the weekend to weekend conference play that they face is a little different per conference but i think that the big boys start to show up more late january early february that's when you really get an indication as to who you think is going to make it through and you know then you always have that side issue of some of the teams that are so loaded with high-end talent, guys that are drafted, younger players who you know are going to probably turn pro at the end of the season, and then you have to worry about the half-in, half-out, or who's all the way in kind of philosophy, and we've seen that phenomena trip up a lot of good teams in the past decade. Yeah, it is that funny balance between the the non-conference portion of the season, which is so important, and then you almost have a different season when conference play starts, and then the second half is a little different than the first half. There are just so many iterations of a a single college hockey season that depending on where you find a team or see a team, you might get a completely different read on what that team is all about, just depending on when you catch them over the course of the year. There's no question. Like I would love to see Denver go out and play Boston College again in February. I would love to see North Dakota and BU play again in late January, early February. Like To me, it's a much different read because now you've got teams that are a little bit more set in their ways. Their structure is a little bit more established. The familiarity is a little bit better. You're looking more at the end than from the beginning. So the mindset changes. And, and those games are just fascinating games to begin with anyway when you get these, these blue blood type programs with the rich history and the rich tradition squaring off against each other. But I, I think it's great that North Dakota and BU linked up this season to play. I, I love the fact that Denver came out east. I love the fact that Michigan State came out east because – they're a program on the rise. It's, it is so important, and especially the, the North Dakota-Minnesota rivalry to continue to be renewed. I mean, that to me is, is, a, is a fan's dream. So the fact that those games continue to get played are really, really important. But I just think, unfortunately, it's, sometimes it's hard to take a lot of the early games out you know, or take things out of those early games when you go back late in the season. Like, to me, when North Dakota plays Minnesota-Duluth in February, you could pull a lot out of those two games as those two teams get ready to move forward into the tournament. So what's your broad thought on, uh, on the college landscape at this point in time? What's, what has struck you so far? I'm really encouraged at the fact that there are programs that are continuing to look at taking the step towards division one. So I, I think that's a really good thing. I, I love Augustana coming in and, and the early success that they're having. So I, I think that's great. LIU came in a couple of years ago and here on Long Island, it has really been unique in terms of what they've been able to do in a short time on both the men's and the women's side. And, and I think that'll continue to grow. And the one thing for LIU is they need to get into a conference. St. Thomas with, with Rico Blasi coming in, and, and they're starting to find some success. You're starting to see some programs that had a couple of down years that are really starting to come back. I look at UMass, who, who didn't have a very good year last year, and all of a sudden they're really starting to explode once again, and they're starting to be good. So I, I think that and, – and as you just mentioned, Michigan State is another program that's on the rise. So I, I think that right now – you're seeing more teams that are better because of the fact that there has been much better player development at the youth level. Junior hockey is only getting better. The North American League continues to impress me with how good it's become and the amount of players that that league is putting into Division One. The USHL obviously continues to do the tremendous job they're doing. The National Team Development Program continues to develop high-end, college-ready players for, for the Division One level who could come in and be impacts really quickly and then go on a good career so i'm really ecstatic about the way college hockey looks and i don't think the coaching in the ncaa at the one and three levels has ever been better than it is right now 
Yeah, it just feels like it's on the up and up. Just the quality across the game in North America is, is at an all-time high. I, to bring things a little closer to home, NCHC play started last week. North Dakota will open up this weekend in the NCHC against Minnesota Duluth. As you look at the conference that you're going to cover so closely and have done so for a long time, what are some of the big talking points you've seen from the first month and a half within the Nacho, Dave, as you like to call it? Well, first of all, I think one of the big talking points is how good you, Jake, and the Midco crew have been because you guys are doing an awesome job at, at bringing North Dakota hockey in here. You know, Shereen and I love to get together on a Friday night and sit around and watch you guys when you guys are home. So that's that's been good. And I think that when you when you take a look at this conference right now, you're seeing once again what has been a staple in the conference, and that is skill and depth. It's a heavy conference. It's it's an older conference. It's a skilled conference. It's got a lot of hockey IQ and a lot of hockey savvy because of the fact that you do have some of those older players coming in after matriculating through junior, either through their eligibility or just a year shy of it. So when, when I take a look at the teams, you, you take a look at Minnesota Duluth, a little bit of a rebuild going on there, but but also skill that can that can really work. You take a look at North Dakota, who who has done so well with the transfer portal in terms of bringing in key older players that that can not only help establish a culture, but can help foster a culture that younger kids are bringing in so that they can continue to bring it through. So, so there's two good ones right off the start. I love that Miami's having some early success because I think that generates a buzz. I think Denver's always a very unique watch. You know, don't forget David Carl of Denver as a head coach, and then Brett Larson in St. Cloud will be an assistant coach with the World Junior team. So it's interesting watching that balance in terms of handling their team, but also building the World Junior team and going through 15 World Juniors. I, you know, I've seen that become quite a juggling act for coaches that try to keep an eye on on both sides of it. But once again. You go one through eight. There's no weak sister in the league. There's no off weekend in the league. And that is why the coaches talk about how tough it is to get through the NCHC and why everybody respects how hard it is to get through this. Because you can make a case that winning the frozen faceoff is probably as big a challenge as winning the frozen four. Yeah, it, it is difficult for sure. Uh, you know, and I think teams teams know it for sure. But I mean, it probably sharpens you as you try to make the uh, tournament the next weekend. Hey, what you, what's your thoughts on uh, Arizona State? I I think that over well, a couple of things. Number one is from a broadcast perspective, <laughs> with no disrespect to any of the other eight member clubs in the league, I will tell you that if we did eight games in Phoenix next year. You know, I'd be the happiest guy on the planet for for the obvious reason. And I joke about that because I did a couple of Arizona State games for the Pac-12 network a couple of years ago. And sitting by the pool and doing game prep was just outstanding. I can't even begin to explain how great that was. But I think that them coming in is going to be a, a good thing for a couple of reasons. Number one is they are a program on the rise and one of those independents that needs a home. And I do think it's important that teams don't play as independents, that they play in a conference. I do think that matters. Number two is it's a brand name. So you're taking a brand name school and adding it into eight other programs with rich, deep traditions and great histories. It's a really nice matchup because now all of a sudden you take what the NCHC has done as a conference and what all these schools have done as individual institutions with their hockey programs. And now you add in a name that maybe is a little bit more nationally recognized than with no disrespect, a St. Cloud State, you know, just as a, as a university. So, so you bring that in there, and now you got a little star power coming in just with the name. And I just think that adds because the casual fan might take a look and see that Miami is playing Arizona State, and all of a sudden, Arizona State, boy, I didn't even realize they had hockey. And now they're starting to play some of the bigger name programs within conference play. 
I just think it helps the overall look of the league. And obviously for travel reasons, I think it's a great thing. That was an immediate text conversation between me and you and Shireen when that oh, yeah. announcement was made of like, ah, can we let's 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 talk about that, about the schedule for 2024 to see if we can <laughs> make some things happen. But TBD on uh, if we'll get two months in the desert uh, versus maybe a game or two here or there. But we could talk college hockey with you, Dave, obviously all day. I think our listeners would love to hear more just about you personally quick. And I, I want to ask. This is your 21st season, right, doing college hockey for what is now CBS Sports Network, formerly College Sports Television. What got you into this business in the first place? Obviously, you were a goalie. You played D3 hockey. You love the game. You're a coach. You're a scout, et cetera. What got you started in broadcasting? Why, why this career? You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's not anything that I ever thought about. And one of the guys who I have to thank for literally creating my broadcasting career is Ken Albert. And, you know, Kenny and I were friends uh, from New York. And and when my, I loosely call it a career playing, but when that was really coming to an end and I was looking in the mirror and saying, okay, this is just not going to fly. You know, Kenny was great about getting me into the fold with him and the Baltimore Skipjacks where he was in his first year doing play-by-play. They were Washington's affiliate. And uh, Kenny was instrumental in helping me get in there. And I did a, I probably did a couple hundred games with him over, over a few years with him down in Baltimore. And we turned into a really good pair, but he taught me a lot about, how to get organized and and how to prepare for a game. And, and the other part of it was being in New York and, and working in the business a little bit up there part-time uh, while I was well, attending school up there, you know, I had the opportunity to work with John Davidson quite a bit, you know, who's, who's left the broadcast world and has become an NHL executive. But, but JD to me is still the best analyst that has ever done a game at the NHL level. The guy was unbelievable. His preparation was tremendous. And, you know, he taught me a lot about, how to get prepared, how to find stories, what's important, what, how to look at a game and break a game down. What do the fans want to hear? That's the number one thing he always said to me was, find out things the fans want to hear about so that you could bring the game to them. And then lastly, Denver alum and the late Peter McNabb, he was doing the Devils at the time and had a chance to talk to him quite a bit in my early days. And Peter gave me a formula that I joke with you, I still use today when I put my game sheets together. So this has stood the test of time since the early nineties and between Kenny Albert, John Davidson, Peter McNabb, those three and Stan Fischler, uh, those four were really instrumental at helping me get off the ground and create whatever has been created. (laughs) I love it. All right. So one more for me, Dave, uh, I grew up in Connecticut. Uh, my wife and I were season ticket holders for the Hartford Whalers in 96 and 97. Give me a Hartford Whaler story. Oh, wow. You know, it's funny because I used to skate with those guys during the summer when I was at the at the University of Hartford. And, and that's where I first met Joel Quenville. And Joel was – Joel had just played his 800th game at the beginning of the 90-91 season. He was with the Washington Capitals at the time. And he got sent down to Baltimore. And – so, so here, here comes Joel, an 800-game NHL veteran to help with the coaches and, and to help with the younger players in Baltimore's organization. So think of think of me in this little group. Then I get to the Whaler story, but just think of me in this little group with Barry Trotz as the assistant coach, Joel Quenville having just come down after 800 NHL games, Kenny Albert in the broadcast booth, and my roommate, the legendary Jack Button as the director of scouting for Washington. And a lot of people don't know that Jack really helped pick the 80 Olympic team as part of that committee that that picked the 80 U.S. Olympic team, and David Poyle is my GM. I mean, you want to talk about being set up for success at, at an early part. That was my group. But but with the Whalers, it's funny. My goaltending partner at the University of Hartford, his father had owned the Rhode Island Reds, where Emil Francis had had coached. 
So he had complimentary season tickets to the Whalers for the two years that I was in Hartford. So we went to a lot of games or, and we're, I, I will tell you, we were probably at 40 to 50 games at least over the two seasons that I was there third row and got a chance to know some of those guys and Ray Ferraro didn't live very far away. So, you know, we used to see him around town a lot too. And the buzz that the Whalers created, you want to talk about the buzz that North Dakota hockey creates in Grand Forks, the buzz that the Whalers created in Hartford, especially during the mid eighties, when they were really starting to get good, it was something I had never seen before as a sports fan growing up in New York. Cause not only was the entire area of, of greater Hartford in it, but like most of Connecticut, got encapsulated with this too. Southern Massachusetts, that was a little bit more Bruins, became very much Whalers also. It was the most unique buzz. I've seen a sports team create in a long time, and I miss the Whalers. I know people in Hartford miss the Whalers, and it's too bad the city's so small. But to me, that was one of the most perfect NHL markets for a team and a fan base to bond together, kind of us against the world with that mentality of being the small market team they were. No, no doubt about it. No doubt. Well, Dave, really do appreciate you joining the pod today. Alex, do you have anything more? We can catch Dave and his various roles across college hockey and Big Ten Network, CBS Sports Network. Our first game will be coming up on January the 12th. A good one out in the Rockies between St. Cloud and Denver. we got a couple North Dakota games this year. Really looking forward to another season with you, partner. Well, you know, I do the World Juniors now only just to get ready to get set for you because I know that you've got all these games <laughs> lined up early in the season. I don't want to come in and I mean, you got you and Jake are cruising. You got the desk going well, Taylor, the whole bit. Everybody's going well. I, we don't want to come in, Shereen and I, cold and you know, slow you down. So I, the world juniors becomes a great warm up, so that I could get set and get ready to get moving with you. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't want to embarrass the awesome. crew. <laughs> Dave, thanks as always, buddy. Be well. Say hi to Shireen. You got it. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Dave Starman for joining the show today. Great friend of the pod, great friend of college hockey and of UND in general. Just one of the best, one of the best people and one of the best announcers you're going to find. Yeah, really passionate. And obviously his uh, his background is just tremendous. And so and he brings that energy, right? I mean, you can just feel it. It, it, it exudes. uh um you know, you can, you can actually feel it through the television. I mean, it's amazing. So yeah, we're lucky to have him in the NCHC for sure. And uh, excited for another year of, uh, of CBS hockey. Yeah. The fact that he's a Long Islander and is an honorary Midwest guy because he spends so much time out here and really follows the league closely. He always tells a great story of when he was doing regionals for ESPN and they would ask, oh, well, we'll put you in Manchester or we'll put you in Worcester for one of those regions. No, no, put put me in Fargo. <laughs> put me out. Put me out west. I know those teams better. I like those teams. I know those. I know those staffs really, really well. And he would obviously do great. He covers the sport as a whole so well. So it didn't matter where you put him, but he just has such that connection with this part of the world and these teams. And yes, NCHC fans are blessed because of his participation. Just one of the great advocates for the game, and fun to have him on and chat a little bit about college hockey and his life a bit this morning. His depth of. Uh you know, connectivity with so many different people within the sport is, is quite amazing. It really is. Mm -hmm. And so it just, it makes for a great broadcast. Yeah. He has got stories upon stories upon stories and remembers them meticulously. And it's, it's fun. You can, you can go down a lot of rabbit holes with Dave if you want to, 
just for the fans listening, once we stopped the record, Dave and Bill spoke for another, I don't know, eight, nine minutes or so about Whalers talk. <laughs> like just had season by season of what happens in the 1986 season. And then they traded for this guy. And it's just incredible, just the recall. Because again, you lived it and you're passionate about it and it mattered to you and it mattered to him. And it still resonates 35, 37 years later. It's just that's what sports does, right? It's a part of our history, a part of our shared culture. And it's fun to reminisce and think about where you were at the time when you saw that goal or that win or that playoff defeat. It's what sports does. It connects us, doesn't it? Yeah, and it feels like, you know, certainly the sport of hockey, um, It's it's got this real smaller connectivity type of feel to it. And when you talk about you know, Hartford having a team at that point in time, it's, it, that doesn't seem uh, like the typical uh, city that would uh, have uh, a professional sports team in it. When, when Connecticut, when it's your only, only professional sports team, you're all in on the hockey side, which how many communities can you say that in the United States? And at the end of the day, um, you know, I think just at the end, unfortunately, the owners, it just, you know, probably the corporate base wasn't big enough um, in, in some way, shape or form. I think ultimately that was it. it. It had nothing to do with the attendance. I mean, that in the popularity of the team, it probably had everything to do with the long range uh, business forecast or business model of where things were going. And he's probably right now. It's unfortunately in this day and age, I'm not sure you could ever go back to the future. I I, I don't think so. They probably would have to have a, a, a new facility. And, and I just don't know if the state slash that corporate base could support it. Yeah, the Whalers decamped for Raleigh and are now the Hurricanes and have won, obviously, a Stanley Cup and have had great success down there and have a great fan base. And they welcomed hockey in that community. But it does make you sad when you see the Whalers throwbacks or you see somebody wearing a hat or a jacket in the stands and you think about what was 30 years ago and how special that could have been for that community. When Gary Bettman talks about expansion, unfortunately, Hartford, not on the short list of places that are vying for an NHL team. But you never know, Bill. Doggone it. You just never know. Well, you never know. You never know. It's it just hard between being between Boston and New York. Just just almost impossible. So anyways, all that to be said, Dave is great. Uh, really appreciate you getting him on. And who knows? Maybe we'll get him on one more time uh, toward the end of the uh, hockey season as well. When we, as he said, as we get a little bit more structures known when you get into that February uh, time frame. Yeah, it is still that point in the season where even though we know some things about these teams, things are going to change and evolve over the course of the year. And you see teams look vastly different Yeah, in January and yeah. February than they do in early November. But at the same time, it is still fun to watch these games. And these games still matter greatly in terms of significance, your record, your pairwise, et cetera, which is what made this past weekend, Bill, yep. Yep. so fun out at Aganis Arena with North Dakota taking on BU in one of the series of this young season so far. Yeah, I thought it was outstanding. Um, yeah, you're right. Maybe maybe in a February, each team will know itself even a little bit better, but it was it certainly had the energy and the feel and, and the intensity of uh, two really, uh, I, I believe, NCAA tournament games. I mean, they were just – it was it was incredible and really high-end talent on the ice and uh, played with a, just a ferocious pace. Uh, you know, that second game um, – 
I mean, I, you thought, you know, Friday night was a really, really, really good game. But then Saturday, it seemed like it got even amped up a little bit further. Yeah, that was a frozen four game. I mean, just but you could sell, obviously, North Dakota desperate to get something out of the weekends. Goes up 3-1 and just every goal, like Reese Gaber's goal to start things off. And you see the emotion come out after that, like bar down snipe off the top of the net. And it just continued from there. And uh, as you said, great players making plays. Lane Hudson's going to be a Hobie hat trick finalist probably this year. I mean, like Hudson scores a hat trick to get BU back. North Dakota goes up again. BU strikes late. And then Jackson Blake's overtime winner. Just this incredible back and forth, entertaining hockey game. That's, you want a great advertisement for the sport. That was it on Saturday night. And obviously great for North Dakota to get the overtime victory, which counts as a, a true win in the record books, a 67% win in the pairwise. It's it's a good it's a good one certainly on the road because it counts a little extra because of where it took place. That that win, along with the Wisconsin win and the Minnesota win, Bradbury and company stockpiling some really good victories early this season that are gonna come to fruition come March when the pairwise comes into play. Yeah, and you know what what Dave said as well, of course, I mean, just looking at the NCHC and how some of the teams have gotten started already, there's gonna be no, you know, no weekend where you're gonna say, well, this is this is a uh a, an easier weekend or a breather of a weekend that, that just doesn't exist. Comma. The start to this year has been throw this team into the deep end because, mm-hmm. uh, it, you know, obviously um, it, an older uh, Minnesota State team that I, I think just knows how to win games. And, uh, you know, that was a uh, uh, certainly a tough weekend as well. So I, I think this team is is kind of gelling right before our eyes a little bit in really some interesting environments. And this past weekend was was good, was good for us. I mean, uh, uh, I thought, you know, again, a Serena, I hadn't been in there. Uh, I had worked at Northeastern about five years before it was built. And so uh, the first time I was in there, it, it's it's it really, really nice uh, facility. Um, and, and right on Com Ave, and of course, uh, you know, land uh, acreage is at a premium. So to be able to kind of shoehorn that in on Com Ave is, is quite, kind of interesting. And everything kind of goes up and down because that's what you need to do, right? As opposed to going wider. Uh, so, uh, but I thought it was a great environment, has got that one bowl feel to it. So every seat's a great seat in the facility. So, and they feel like they're on top of you. And uh, it, was, it was entertaining. Yeah, it's special. 5,000 strong in that place. And it, well, it just was a great atmosphere. And it's fun to think too, that they will now come to Grand Forks next year. And then we'll be a Terrier team that'll still be pretty good, even if some of those high-end guys move on. Guess what? They've got a bunch of high-end guys coming in next year. We discussed a lot um, about, I think, uh, as far as what Alec Johnson can figure out is that it might be the first time ever that we've changed out all D and, and a goalie mm-hmm. as well. And I, I think that side of the ice has played extremely well. Of course, of course, we're scoring goals too, certainly on five on five too, which is awesome. But I, I'm not sure anyone going into the season uh, wondered whether or not, you know, like where the goals are going to come from. I, I think it was more on the back end of the ice. And I thought we played, you know, you know, obviously Hudson special. But uh, at the end of the day, I thought as a team, we've played very, very well um, out of the gate. Yeah, I would say so, too. Five, two and one at this point now. Again, they've gotten and again, those five wins 
Four of those have come against ranked teams. You're taking down some of the best in the country week in, week out. And that will continue now this week on the road against Minnesota Duluth, who's ranked in the top 20 as NCHC play begins. Another big road trip. Not an easy place to go to start off the conference slate, but obviously a, a, an old rivalry that this team will certainly be up for as they just continue this consistent march against some of the best the nation has to offer. Should be a fun one this weekend at Amsoil. Yeah, and you know, I think certainly some of the uh, guys um, that are first years here have not been to uh, to Duluth yet. But again, having uh, Ludwig uh, having been in the league, I think makes a difference. I, I do. I think him, you know, skating in that arena for the last several years, I think uh, you know makes a difference as as you're kind of now marching through uh, the NCHC. Yeah, both those games, by the way, if you can't make the trip over, those games will be live on Midcoast Sports. We were able to do the trade with Mine on TV out of the Twin Ports. So we'll have those games for you live. You can always, of course, watch on nchc.tv, but uh, they'll be on your television coming up this weekend on Friday and Saturday. And then, yeah, back home, it's been so many home games and now here back-to-back weekends on the road. It's like, oh, when, when is this team going to be home again? They'll be home next week. Miami yep. coming to town on the 17th and 18th. And Bemidji State in a pair of home games at the Ralph over Thanksgiving weekend as well on Black Friday and Thanksgiving Saturday. Uh, so lots of great hockey in our future before we hit the holiday break, which again is not that far off, but fun to think that this team is performing the way that they are right now. They've done tremendous in this portion of the non-conference excited to see what they can do in the conference season now as it begins you know and i like i I just like the vibe around the team too um was Mm -hmm. i talked to a few of the guys uh uh, on saturday before the game and uh you know it's always that long saturday after the friday night game and if it doesn't go your way it's always a longer saturday but uh because you're just waiting waiting to play and uh but i thought the guys uh you know they felt pretty good about Friday night too. I mean, it was a good college hockey game. That that yeah. that was my my feel going out of the rink that night. Just really good college hockey game. Obviously, you want to be on the right side of it, so to speak. But they get a late one and and, and beat us. So, uh, uh, but we found a way the next night, and uh, there wasn't without some adversity during the game too. So, hey, you know what? When you start a game with a, a five minute major, that's a tough thing. I mean, I looked up at the scoreboard at one point, and it was twelve zero in shots. And, uh, and then we fought our fought back. I mean, I, I, I don't think we ended up out shooting them that night, but, but it was closer than that 12, that, that gap of 12 that at the beginning of the game. And North Dakota outshot BU on Friday, not the case on Saturday, but you take the result, you take the result in the fight back. And certainly there was a lot of desire to come out of Boston with something. And, and they got that on Friday night. So UND earns the split, Minnesota Duluth on the way as conference play begins in the NCHC for Bradbury and company. Football, meanwhile, after that defeat a couple of weeks ago that pushed them down to 2-2 two and two in conference and 4-3 and three overall, back-to-back wins, both have been maybe a little more interesting. Certainly the week previous against Indiana State was a, a really unique game, but to go on the road this weekend to beat Murray State and the offense clicking right now, 45 more points to the good. North Dakota now is 6-3, and 4-2 and two in conference and has a great opportunity this weekend against another top 10 team to make a statement and keep that push towards the playoffs alive. What are your thoughts on football right now, Bill? Yeah, you know, I thought that we needed a road victory in the worst way. I think that we hadn't had one in about a year. I think it was like 364 days. Yeah. And so... Um, it was important, uh, I think, for a lot of different reasons. And I, I think, you know, we we did what we had to do down there. I, I think we got ahead 
stayed ahead and uh in a 60 minute game you know they got into a little bit of a rhythm i thought their quarterback was really good i mean really good and their running back ran really 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 hard um so they've got some weapons no doubt about it especially when they're playing at their place uh but i thought we did what we had to do good to say good to see on both weeks um and then it sets up now right so you've gotten nine games under your belt you're six and three six and six and two in fcs games and so you know this sets up to be a huge one this weekend i mean for all intents and purposes it's really a playoff game because you know even though both teams still could make it as at large as if either one of them loses per se depending on what happens the final week of the season um either one if you were to win out at this point in time you might feel pretty good about a potential seed. I mean, that's, that's a possibility. And so, um, but there's a lot of other, obviously moving parts, right? I mean, there's a lot of big games going on this week. South Dakota state's playing Youngstown, Southern Illinois is playing North Dakota state, and that's just in our league. And so there's a lot of other things happening around the country. So um, yeah, I thought that the guys have responded uh, well, you know, obviously we've had, uh, you know, it's a physical game. We've had a few guys, um, you know, scratched, so to speak the last few weeks, Um, you know, knock on wood, maybe we get a couple back and see what transpires, but uh, congratulations to Tommy for, breaking the record for uh most uh pass uh touchdown passes in a career so that was uh awesome to see and uh you know he's just been uh he's been a rock i mean he's been incredibly um stable Uh, i mean he's you you know what you're going to get from your quarterback and there's something to be said for that and uh you know he's been uh someone that you can rely on to uh to execute the game plan uh flawlessly um and you know it's about as tough a position that there is in sport and he he does it very very well yeah we've seen the last two weeks him make some plays that like i think you mentioned knowing what you're going to get from tommy he's made some plays i think that surprised some people with his arm certainly in the Indiana State game down the stretch with his legs to make some things happen and keep that late drive alive to allow them to kick the game win- or the game tying field goal. They've just found a way these last couple of weeks to get W's in the win column. And now not an easy test. Number six, South Dakota at home is a difficult opponent. You know, they just beat a good Southern Illinois team 14-7. That South Dakota defense is good. And we've are. seen that this season. They are. The only team that's gotten the handle of them has been South Dakota State a couple of weeks ago. Yep. So um, USD, I think, has found some something that's worked this year that maybe hasn't been there the last couple of years. And that's been a tough place to play for North Dakota. I think they've lot they've dropped the two previous meetings yep. down in Vermilion since they've joined the Valley. So big opportunity, though. Two top 10 teams battling with playoffs. Not you. You don't want to say on the line, but a seed certainly is on the line, and the comfort of knowing, hey, we can still get to eight wins. If you win out, two games left, you get to eight. Obviously, you get to eight wins with the type of quality wins you've got. Yeah, a seed is definitely in play. What are your thoughts on seven wins? Let's say either mm. UND goes one and one down the stretch. Would you still feel pretty good about your chances as a seven and four Valley team? knowing the landscape at the moment. Yeah. You know, um, I would feel as good as any other seven and four team, Mm -hmm. but how many of those are going to be question mark. Um, And it just depends on who else, you know, I'll call it runs the table right now versus splits, you know, the next couple of weeks. And um, it just depends on who you're, 
who you're vying against and uh you know what what does your resume look like if it's someone that you've beaten head to head versus someone that has beaten you head to head you know you just don't know so i lot to be uh worked out in the next two weeks for sure now having said all of that it's pretty simple you know what take care of business on your own and then you don't have to worry about much at that point <laughs> except for the fact that uh you just don't know where you could be placed at that point so yeah. but you know you're right this series has been one it seems like the home team has dominated it it has been i think mm -hmm. since since these two have come together so mm -hmm. if you're a und fan you hope that trend changes coming this weekend at one o'clock on saturday again so big one number six south dakota number 10 slash number 12 north dakota at the Dakota Dome, one o'clock kick live on Midco Sports. We hope you can join. If you can't make the trip down, uh, check it out live this weekend as UND rounds into the la the home stretch of their regular season. A bunch of other fall sports still going on. I want to touch on one fall sport that just wrapped up uh, with some great success down in Brookings on the 28th of October. Cross country doing some things that haven't been done in the Summit League era for North Dakota. The women end up finishing fourth. The men finish third. Again, good performances for Tom Scott's teams. But individually, Yonja Kutlik wins the women's championship. First time a North Dakota woman had won a Summit League cross-country title. And then Luke Labatt gets second, runner-up on the men's side. Three men get all-conference honors, two women. Really great performances all the way around in difficult conditions a couple of weeks ago in Brookingsville. Yeah, I watched those, Alex, and uh, and you know the stream was great to be able to watch it. But yeah, help me with this one. And I know you say you're really not a distance runner per se, but you know track better. Were those conditions tough to run in? I mean, because it was a little bit colder that day. It was cold. It was cold and windy, and cold. I think there's a what's the word I want to use? There's a fine line between like, okay, these are difficult conditions, but you can still run your race and it's not going to necessarily affect every runner. And it get, if it, if the temperature drops below a certain point or like we saw at the high school state cross country championships in Jamestown, like people were slipping and falling down because there was yeah. snow on the track and they had cleared it off, but it turned into mud. That's a different thing. And I think it, from what I could glean that day in Brookings, it wasn't bad enough that it it would have affected everybody. I think some people might have been affected, but for the most part, it was just it was cold. But you could power through. It, doable. Doable. Yeah, to I got you. I got you. Yeah, it was great to to be able to be on the podium individually on both both sides was just awesome. And uh, I think from a team perspective, you know, um, you know, I, I think they generally uh, thought that they would be in the mix to some degree in, in that regard. So. Uh, um, I think, you know, Jim, Jim's building, you know, a program that hopefully is going to be sustainable over the course of time. Jim and Tom, of course, on the cross country side, but then, uh, you know, as far as track track, both indoor and outdoor. So, um, yeah, it was an exciting day for them. And I thought they, they, uh, they did quite well, excited for them. Uh, anytime you can, uh, win a race literally like that and be a conference champion, it's pretty historical. Yeah, for Yonja, who's a fifth year, who's from Turkey originally, she in her first year with the program. She had been the Summit League Athlete of the Week a couple of weeks previous in North Dakota's previous meet out in Pennsylvania. She had a great showing out there. So you could see this, like she was starting to peak a little bit, but I don't know if anybody expected this. She took down Leah Hansen, who had won the conference championship three years in a row from South yep. Dakota State. Like nobody had been able to beat this girl. 
and Yonja was able to do so on the day in Brookings against this young lady who's running on her home track. It just it was it was really neat to see that come across the line. And uh, and same thing for Luke, who's been such a great runner for North Dakota since he came here a couple of years ago uh, to get runner up honors. Pretty special. There are a lot of really good runners in this conference. Yep. And like you said, if you're on the podium, that's a really good day. And then uh, Justin Jellica, Jamie Burns both finished as all conference performers on the men's side. Jaden Keeler, who was so good last year and was one of the standout performances as a freshman, finishes 11th on the women or 12th, excuse me, on the women's side to get second team all conference honors. Just a lot of really positive performances on that day. So just kudos to that group. They they go so under the radar and you grind and toil and you're doing distance and running these miles. And I'm just really proud of them to be able to show out on the biggest meet of the year and have that type of success. No doubt about it. So uh, uh, big congratulations. And, uh, you know, in a uh, a little bit of a, a kudos to our um, our compliance team as well. Um, um, Yunja had a uh, some, you know, <laughs> As you might imagine, when you're coming internationally uh, in trying to get things, I'll call it converted to some degree, there's just a lot of details and work that have to be put in. And those are kind of the things that happen behind the scenes. And uh, and, and those were things that, uh, you know, were, were being done uh, over the course of time here to get her uh, you know, eligible to be able to, uh, uh, you know, make her mark in, in race. And uh, even when we had... Uh, when we had the Ron Penn cross country invitational back in September, she wasn't quite ready yet at that point. So she was able to run unattached and, you know, we all saw her run that day, you know, in a non UND uh, garb and all that rot, but uh, she was incredible. She really was. I mean, she came across and uh, it was almost like you, you had to look at your watch as far as when the next mm. grouping was coming. I mean, that's how dominant she was at that point. So she's she's pretty special. And yeah, you're right. Luke Luke has been uh, a stalwart for us for the last uh, several years. And uh, he has uh, done a great job is on our um, student athlete advisory committee and he's uh taken leadership roles in that regard as well so you know just just great students and great student athletes awesome a win all around even the compliance coming up big to make these things happen it takes everybody right sometimes to get these kids to give them the opportunity yeah and a lot of times people don't obviously would ever know that but it, it you know there's just a lot of moving parts when you're bringing in someone you know internationally and uh, uh but you know, the diversity of your, your, uh, your university, the diversity of the department, the team, um, we're better for it. We're, we're, we're yeah. certainly better for, it. and of course she's a heck of a runner. I mean, obviously, but at the end of the day, um, even a better person and better student, uh, when, when that's the case. Excellent. Well done to cross country for both the men and the women. Another fall sport that is still pressing on that isn't quite done yet. Volleyball with three matches left in the regular season. Uh, bit, a bit of a tough stretch for Jesse Tupac and company. Three straight defeats after that really resounding win on the 50th anniversary weekend a couple of weeks ago. They have three huge matches, though, ahead with still the opportunity to finish top six and make the Summit League tournament. Starts on Thursday at South Dakota State and then two games at home to finish things out. Saturday against Kansas City and then Tuesday against North Dakota State. Even though it's been kind of a tough conference year, still everything to play for for this group who have shown flashes yeah. of being one of the better teams in this league, Bill. It can't, yeah, I mean, I, you know, they are uh, still, I think, uh, inexperienced in areas. And I think that has probably um, led to probably some, you know, 
inconsistent performances at, at times, but even within the match itself, you can tell there's tremendous talent. I just it things at times, you, you know, you just uh, you don't put it all together and uh, we just haven't been able to put it all together. I think, you know, throughout the entire match now looking ahead, you know, I, I know, you know, he, he, Jesse and, uh, you know, in the coaching staff is incredibly bullish and optimistic on the future for sure. But, you know, hopefully we can uh, end the, you know, with a solid performances here in these three matches. Yeah, the game Thursday is huge. SDSU is the team right now in sixth and North yep. Dakota is in seventh. And if you want to have a chance gotta win. to move into the top six, that's that's when you really need on the road before you gotta, get a couple of home get against two really good teams. So yep. big week ahead for the volleyball ladies. Again, best of luck to them as they start to wind down their regular season with the hopes that it will continue coming up in postseason play in a couple of weeks. On the opposite side, hoops are underway, Bill. We mm. had the men open up with an exhibition last week. The women started last night with regular season play on the road against Wyoming. The men, a big one tonight against Iowa. It's it's just so funny that basketball is happening. and But awesome to see these teams get underway. Obviously, t- tough one for the ladies last night. That was a three-point game going into the fourth quarter and then just couldn't couldn't make the shots down the stretch against the Cowgirls. But just fun to see. Fun to see Casey Barovich out there doing her thing. 29 points. Really efficient night for her. Fun to see the men put up 100-plus in their exhibition play and see everybody get involved. I just love – I love this time of year when you get – all of a sudden, kind of out of nowhere, oh, basketball is beginning. How did you perceive the start of the hoop season? Bill, yeah, same thing. I, you know, I watched our men, uh, a lot of new faces and, uh, you know, Pulse trying to get them uh, gelled together a little bit and tough test here tonight in Iowa City for sure uh, against a Big Ten opponent. So we'll see, uh, see how they handle that. And yeah, the ladies, I thought, played pretty well for three quarters, uh, I think down just a couple points. And I think Wyoming's going to be a good team in the Mountain West and Tough to play there. Uh, always tough to play at Wyoming. Um, but, you know, I thought we played okay until that fourth quarter. And, uh, you know, one of our big guns, uh, Kaya Hurst, is, uh, you know, she's nursing a little bit of a knock. So, uh, and so she she did not play last night. I'm not sure when she'll be back, but, uh, you know, it gives other 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 uh, players opportunities for sure. But uh, she'll be a big part of what we're trying to do at some stage of the game as well. The one nice thing for Mal and company, they have three games at home coming up. So you come back from Laramie and you get to play Grand Canyon coming up on Saturday, Concordia on the 15th, and then Montana State on the 19th before they'll head back out on the road. So nice to at least figure out, because you mentioned again, so many new faces on this group. This was a veteran team last year. They're a young team this year. And some of those freshmen and sophomores will be playing elevated roles with Casey kind of leading the way as a fifth-year preseason player of the year type player. It's going to be fun to watch this team figure it out with some matches coming up or with some games coming up in Grand Forks the next no, week and a half. No doubt. We had, you know, so many players last year that kind of knew their roles over the course of time. And uh, now, now you just see it. Uh, unfolding uh right now trying to figure that piece out and i think it's just going to take a little bit i i don't think it we're i don't think we're uh, devoid of talent by any stretch it's just a matter of now trying to figure out where the pieces fit and uh um you know probably good to be at home a little bit yeah get some home cooking here and uh stay in your own bed and uh try to figure some things out but i think it's gonna go kind of deep in a roster right now trying to figure out you know what the right to- rotations will be yeah, that's what this time of year is about, right? Kind of figuring it out who's ready for the what role. And 
you try and gel and make it happen by the time you hit December. That's uh, it. When the games really start to matter. That's um, it. Paul Sather, by the way, year five for the Sather era begins officially tonight. As you listen to this, the game will probably be over. But if you if you catch it early, the game against Iowa is on Big Ten Plus. So you can check that out tonight if you want to. And then they have a couple home games. Elon, who's a good school out of the Colonial Athletic Association, is coming to town on Sunday. And then Valley City State coming up on the 16th before North Dakota men will hit the road to Pacific and, and other fun destinations uh, around Thanksgiving weekend. So some good stuff there. That's going to be a fun men's team to watch as well. It's hard to keep up with college basketball at this point. This is one of those times of the year, for me anyways, there's just so much going on. It's like a blender, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. it? It's just a blender. And, uh, you know, it, it's uh, our, our, our teams try to do it as best as they can, trying to schedule around, you know, other sports that are going on at the same time. But, you know, sometimes you just have to get the games when you can get them. So, uh, mm-hmm. but, you know, it'll get a little bit more consistent once we get into conference play. Yes, sir. Thursday, Saturday. Not too bad. That's that's coming up just around the corner right now. It is a lot of like, just check the calendar and, and take a look and see. And I would say one of the great things about this Summit League Network powered by Midcoast Sports Plus is that if, if it's a home game or if you're playing someone who's also in the conference, it's going to be on. I know a lot of these games will be on linear TV, the Grand Canyon game, the Montana State game, the Elon game. Those will be on television. But for some of these others that might not be quite marquee matchups, you can still stream them in one place. So that was that was what's been so nice. Like last night, I was able to catch the South Dakota State-Akron game on the men's side from Frost Arena and able just to stream it. It wasn't on TV, but you had a chance to kind of pick and choose and pick the best matchup you wanted to. And that's that's what's going to be great. And then those games will be there after the fact as well. They, they have, a, a lo- I think, for a couple of months, those yep. games will still live. So you can go back and watch replays if you miss it. So a great way to get to know these teams because yep. it will be a lot of new faces for both the men and the women. But you can see them in person, of course, when they're at the Betty. And you can see them on the road, too, uh, which is going to be really, really nice. So good opportunity there. If you want to, MidcoastSportsPlus.com to get signed up. Yeah, no doubt. Kudos. It, it really, it's awesome. It really is. I mean, it's one-stop shop. Kudos to our league office, Josh Fenton, uh, and obviously Midco putting this all together. It's a. Uh, it, it just gives you a better chance to be able to just go to one spot and be able to you know, watch, watch all the opponents that are going to be coming, coming through Grand Forks. Yeah, that's the goal. So shameless plug. Yeah, we're really proud of how that's gone so far. And thanks again for the support for you all out there to make this happen, to make it worthwhile for us. So, uh, Bill, anything else from a UND Athletics perspective, NCAA stuff going on in your world? No, I think we're good. It's just another big weekend, right? We're just uh, we're we're chock full of them at this point in time. So uh, (laughs) let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And let's go over to the B side where I think we really just have one topic. Mm. And it's all the madness that's going on in the English Premier League right now, mostly with the referees. I know we don't love to talk solely about officiating, but that's become a massive story. And this weekend was another example of that. Your team was at the heart of some of it in a crazy 4-1 match against Chelsea that saw four goals disallowed. Is that right? And also had a red card issued after a review and... Just it was it was something. It was something, Bill. What were your thoughts as you watched this drama unfold for the one hundred and twenty minutes of what should have been a ninety-minute match at White Hart Lane? Yeah. So so if you told me that we'd suffer our first loss on November sixth, I would say you're crazy. So start there. So <laughs> that's your arm off for glass that. very half full. Um, actually, the bigger issues 
for us yesterday was a few injuries that we sustained. Yeah. So that's going to be, that's going to be really mm -hmm. the, the thing that's you're going to take away this match. I mean, yeah, I, you know, the two yellows by Udagi, I, it, probably not smart. I mean, they, you know what earned it, I guess the, I guess Romero's a red, I guess, I guess his studs were up after he actually kicked the ball. He did. Yeah. And came, then, came in real hard though, Bill came in real, real aggressive on that challenge in the box. Well, but he did kick the ball. He, he got the ball. Yeah. His studs came over. Yeah. Came in, got the ball studs came over and then caught whomever it was. Uh, why am I blanking on this? Enzo caught Enzo Fernandez. Like, Pretty high in the shin, but yes, continue. So, however that all goes, the, the thing is, <laughs> yes, it was 4-1, although it played okay for a long while. It was 1-1 for a long while. Actually I, scored I a goal. Out. We actually scored, scored, scored a goal. goal. I mean, we made, made it 2-2. Made it 2-2. It was a nice goal, too. But There were a couple of moments. But I mean, you were threatening. With nine men, you were threatening. I mean, I, there were really some moments there where it looked like you were going to get something out of the match. I will say, though, you played an incredibly high line. Incredibly high. You never see teams do this down to nine men. Down to ten men. Like, it's a, okay, let's batten the hatches. In the Merseyside Derby a couple of weeks ago, Everton went down to ten men just before half. And they brought on three center backs at the break. And we're like, we're sticking everybody inside the 18. And you're just going to have to shoot through us. And Liverpool eventually got the win. This was the exact opposite. This is everybody at the midfield strike, Bill. Ange ball, man. Alex. It, it is a wild thing. Alex, to dare is to do. <laughs> <laughs> and they were singing afterwards. They were good with it. They were good with they it. Were we're good just, with we're it. Just, he said if we had five, we would have kept pushing. So um, good, something. good for us, maybe. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll tell you, I it, sure it was one of those weird nights that it's the only game in England that night, and uh, it, the whole country and to some degree the world's watching, and so it just was. It was amped. It was an amped game. You could just tell, and it felt as if we could just stay. You know what? pretty there's some guys on on that team that's still pretty young um and i think the moment got to them a little bit if they could have stayed a little bit more composed i thought we were getting some pretty good looks at some point we might have been able to get the second one after we got the first one but uh but still i mean chelsea got their looks too and so uh eh, I, you know what you move on i i don't know what yeah. to say about the officials i i i'd say that and we talked kind of pre-pod is I don't know what the Premier League does. I, I feel for the on-field officials, officials. I feel like they're just hesitating all the time. And they're just – and I don't know. Help me with this one too. I, I, I guess it's like not blowing a whistle. The, the game – a down a whistle doesn't kill the down so that you can go back to the, uh, um, to the review uh, in football. But in, in, in soccer here – Boy, the, the the late the lateness of the offsides flags have been incredible as well. I, I just I the whole thing felt a little disjointed last night. Yeah, um I would agree with that. I mean, anytime you've got 12 minutes of first half stoppage time because you've had so many reviews and you're trying to parse out different incidents, I always find it difficult. And this was the case in the Arsenal Newcastle game, where Newcastle score on the hour mark. 
And they go back and they have to review three separate incidents within the play. Was the ball in or out? Was there a shove in the back? Was the player offside? And you're parsing on all these things. And obviously, like, you want to get the call right. And those are all facets of getting the call right. But also, it, it, it comes at the expense, then, of the flow of the game and what's happening and, and what you're seeing. And it's it's really convoluted at this point. So do you think that... I mean, because it goes straight to VAR check. So obviously, it, it, so the challenge system that is not in play in in in, in EPL is that Correct. like is that the way to do it to some degree? Because it, it, because you're right, there was three checks on that one goal. Now, if you had to do a challenge, you probably would have had to challenge a specific one of the three, but probably not all three. Yeah, I don't know if if that's the answer, if that's kind of an effective way to say, all right, you get one challenge, kind of like the NFL, you get two challenges per game. And if you get one right, you get to keep it and, and do it again. Uh, college hockey, obviously, you get you get one if you've got your timeout, and if not, it becomes a penalty. You know, if you, if you get the challenge incorrect and you don't have a timeout, you're penalized for it. I'm not sure if that would work for soccer. I think... The big reason, at least up until this point, why they haven't instituted a challenge system is because it feels like there aren't that many things to challenge, usually over the course of 90 minutes. Maybe there's one moment or two. And now all of a sudden, whether it's just happenstance or because we're just looking at every incident so closely, it feels like now everything's being challenged. Everything's being looked at by VAR. And, and I think this goes back to the Liverpool goal that was chalked off against your team. Nine-man Liverpool playing Spurs have a goal incorrectly taken off the board because of a miscommunication with VAR. And now it feels like that incident has led to all of this, this micromanaging, taking the, you know, taking the extra three, four, five minutes to get it right. Not the, again, not the worst thing to try and be accurate, but there's got to probably be a better way to do this without having an extra 20 minutes 25 minutes added to these matches just for reviews really kills the game. I don't know though, if the players to some degree bear responsibility in this too, because I can never tell truly what is really happening at some point in time. Did someone really get hit or did someone not? (laughs) And I think that has put the officials in a really tough spot. So then you can't miss. So then you have to end up, reviewing all of these things because if you miss then the player safety piece comes into play as well and so all of that and again it is a it it is a physical sport it's demanding it's all of that but there's also a lot of theater in it there is and and you just can't tell when someone is writhing in pain and and then they seem to be okay (laughs) yeah i would say could there be a call for hey call your own fouls i'm not saying that we do this but there might have to be a push from like the pgmol or from the players association to say we need to stop milking these tiny incidents because we have cameras. We'll be able to go back and look and see that you didn't really get smacked in the face that hard. Or yeah, he touched your shoulder, not your neck. So don't don't fake it because you're just wasting everybody's time, essentially. Right. You know what I mean? I, there, there might have to, it probably has to come. I think you're right, Bill. It probably has to come from the players to clean so. this up a little bit. I, I think so. And, and I think if that's the case, 
And not everything has to be a yellow, but I think if you go back, it's a yellow. If, if you, if, like you said, it, you got, you know, nicked in the shoulder yet, you know, your eyes supposedly bleeding. I, I mean, at the end of the day, <laughs> that might be a yellow. Yeah. And that may be for, it, for, for simulation. Yeah. 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 I, so I don't know. I, I, I just, it's got to, there's got to be some relief given to the officials because I feel like they're just out there. Just, they're just sitting ducks right now. It's rough. And I think after that Arsenal-Newcastle game, when you see the reaction from Arsenal manager, Mikel yeah. Arteta, and then from the club itself, basically saying, this is unacceptable. Yeah, we we agree. agree with what our manager said. We stand by his statements that this is an unacceptable thing to have happen in the greatest league in the world. That's that's concerning. And it's not going to get better until someone does something essentially and, and I don't well, think I don't think the club's calling out the officials is it let's well, just say that having you know having done this job for for a number of years uh, there's many times I've had conversations with leagues league offices could be a head of officials could be commissioner whomever and I might say no I'm going to look into you know getting further clarification or explanation from the league itself um that's different than what Arsenal came out and said. Basically, Arsenal was questioning the, in some ways, the capabilities of of their officiating, you know, program. And so, with that being the case, that's far different than saying, "Look, no, we saw it too. We've got to get clarification. We got to understand why." that was done the way it is. And I guess sometimes it could be just, we missed it, whatever missed it mm -hmm. was. And that can happen, but you know, I don't know. I, I just, I, I, I go back to, it feels as if we are officiating games twice during the game. So you wonder why it's longer because we're reofficiating everything. Yeah. And that just doesn't work. Yeah. It just, it's not it 5149. It's, it's not, well, it's not hundred zero. It's 51-49, and if it was 51-49 a goal, they'll switch it if it's 51-49 not a goal. It's not where you want to be. Nope. Let's, let's just say that. It's not where you want to be. So The Liverpool match with Tottenham really shone a light on some things in, in obviously not a great way, and that's really probably now it's just – it's almost like a pile-on right now, and it's yeah. just escalated. Yeah, feels that way. Yeah, that was that was maybe not the tipping point, but that was certainly the start. And the ball has just continued to roll down the hill, and Oof. the boulder's gotten bigger, and it's just not been great. So, unfortunately, if you're a soccer fan, not great times right now. Not great times. No, no, not at all. So, hey, you know what? You uh, you move on. Uh, you know, it, <laughs> it, 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 we're human. We do make errors. Mm -hmm. We do make mistakes. But again, the same humans are actually then doing in in they're the head of the replay system too so <laughs> exactly can we that's, stay there that's <laughs> and therein lies the conundrum that we are currently in so that's right. we're not going to figure this out today on this nope. pod nope but, but, but I, you know what i'm happy as it can be for the start of the season for for spurs and you know at the end of the day um they weren't going to go undefeated <laughs> That's the attitude, my friends, on a Tuesday morning after defeat. So, well, I think that's a good place to leave it for today. Uh, big thanks, as always, to Dave Starman for jumping on and that was being great. part of the pod. Just a, just a pleasure to hang out with that man. And always a pleasure to hang out with you, Bill. Well, thank you, Alex. I really do appreciate it. And uh, big, big, uh, 
lots of action. So uh, tune into Midco. I mean, Midco is going to have a whole bevy of incredible sport action. It's a lot. A lot of events from the University of North Dakota Athletics Group coming your way uh, live on Midco Sports, streaming on Midco Sports Plus. Enjoy it all over the next couple of weeks, and we'll be back with you in two weeks' time to break it all down. Yes. Sounds like a plan. All right. Sounds good. On behalf of Bill Shaves, on behalf of Paul Ralston and Alex Stocker-Johnson, I'm Alex Heiner. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy all of this, and we'll talk to you in two weeks' time.